Welcome to the Bird Camp Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to the pursuit and promotion of bird hunting. So grab your favorite bird dog and join two brothers from Michigan as we gather around the campfire. Welcome to the Cubby. Welcome to the Cubby. I hope it's not too late. Join us at the campfire. The stories will be great. Bird Camp Podcast is proud to introduce our newest sponsor, Dakota 283. This U.S. company produces made-in-the-USA dog kennels of various sizes and options. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyles products for you and your best friends. Not only kennels, but Dakota 283 manufactures food and water solutions, storage for pickups, SUVs, and UTVs, and even a grooming-slash-dog washing station. Dakota 283 is offering free shipping to the continental United States on all their items at their website at dakota283.com. I just personally ordered the G3 medium frame kennel in Hunter Orange. I like the medium size for my Llewellyn setter, and it even has the option for a kennel insert for puppy training for a future puppy that will be added to our family. Use our coupon code BIRDCAMP10, that's BIRDCAMP10, for a 10% discount. Check out all their products, including their kennels, at www.dakota283.com. That's dakota283.com. All right, welcome to Bird Camp. It's Thursday, June 17th. I'm here with my brother, Kevin. How's it going? Good. How many days till hunting season, man? Well, let me pull up our web page at birdcamp.net. And it says 89 days, 9 hours, and 1 minute. 89 days. 89 days. That's nothing. Nothing. I can do that stand on my head. It's a patrol and a boomer in the Navy. One patrol. One patrol. Yeah. It doesn't look like bird season. It's hot. Yeah. And it's dry. Yeah. We're in currently in southwest Michigan. It's very dry here. We're 7.5 inches below normal precipitation. So we're in an official drought drought and the pond i have back here behind us is i could probably walk across it with some muck boots if i wanted to i wouldn't recommend it after no. what i saw fishing today don't saw walk snake yeah i saw snake and two, and two big snapping turtles and, and a large predator fish i think was a pike not large about 20 24 inches could have been a carp no it, it was pike yeah pike pike long narrow but he didn't want anything I had, but so he just decided to ruin my day by swimming underneath the kayak all day. No, oh, yeah, and that's right yeah. when you fall in and, yeah. and they grab you and they kill you. Yeah, another reported pike death in Michigan. Yeah, so you think the fire danger is going to be a big thing, or it's pretty big right now? I don't know how it is. We're going to talk to uh, Dennis from uh, was it Aspen Thicket Grouse Dogs Grouse Dogs on this show, and uh, maybe he can give us an update what's going on in the UP. Yeah, I, I can tell you what I saw. Do you want to go through that now or with this? Yeah, let's do it. Except for about four counties in the western UP, today's current fire danger map, basically the rest of the state is in either a high to very high state. Uh, when you look at the actual map... Here, the, let me hold my hand up. 
Yeah, there you go. Hold your hand up. That might work, actually. If you come down from the bridge to I-75 down to, I guess that'd be around Cadillac, that's just a low danger, they say. Abnormal, abnormally dry. Everything else out to the, where we have four counties in the western UP that have nothing listed, everything else is worse. It's either moderately dry or severe drought. So the areas I'm looking at is the eastern UP is a high risk. And then east of Grayling and Gaylord towards Alpena in Sheboygan is where probably the biggest risk is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember we went by Gaylord Airport, and I pointed out all those firefighting airplanes and helicopters and stuff there. Yeah, there was a lot of equipment yeah. there. I, th I think they're expecting it. And historically, Michigan has kind of a hidden history with fire. In 1881, which coincided with the Great Chicago Fire, you know, the one with Mrs. Murphy. Oh, the cow who, kicked over the yeah, lantern. Nobody believes it's true anymore. Michigan had fires that wiped, basically wiped out the thumb and parts of the western UP during that same time. And it was similar drought conditions to what we're seeing now. Hmm. Wonder, so how do you think that's going to affect the, the small birds and the existing birds? I, that's, you know, cause the, that's a great question. They, they kind of go for the water, I'm assuming, or they need to have water. If they're not getting water, they're going to be yeah, they, hurting, right? They have to have water. So... We've seen them around a lot of puddles, so, you know, that there's no puddles. So it's got to have some effect, right? Yeah. Hopefully it's not too bad. Uh, might be a time to have uh, the biologist from Michigan. Uh, we had him on. Can't think of his name right now. Mark Fidridge? M Mark Fidridge. Might have been Dave Rosema. <laughs> it's Dave Rosema. Anyway, it might be a good to have a bird biologist on to tell us how to affect them. I, oh, I thought you said the bird. The That's bird biologist. Oh. No, Dave Rose might be a good guest. We should get Dave Rose on. Nobody knows who that is. Yeah, my generation. But No, so there's some concerns there, not only in habitat loss, there's also concerns with the birds, and maybe we should get an answer on the birds, especially if the drought continues. I tell you, I've seen some uh, dark clouds and a lot of ominous-looking weather, but nothing is really clear. Yeah, every now and then down here you get a little tiny scattered storm, and it seems like they always miss us. I can yeah. hear the thunder, and I can see it, and I'm like, oh, here it comes, and then the wind shifts, and it just or goes... You get, you get like five high. drops for five minutes. Yeah, yeah, or just it's like, here nothing. it comes, here it comes. No way. Oh. Yeah, and then you feel the humidity drop, and I'm like, that's it? That's it? That's yeah. all you got? We could use a good three days of rain, for it's sure. It's supposed to rain tonight. Is it? That's what the local guy said, that I'd hang around for... That, seven minutes seven minutes here comes the forecast seven minutes you know yeah the teaser the teaser 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 on the season is we, we're not sure how it's going to affect the birds or the habitat we'll have to wait and see and uh, hopefully people are, I, I guess a concern would be fourth of july with fireworks and amateur people shooting off fireworks and things things could go tender that big fire in 1881 they lost uh 282 people in a sparsely populated area of the state which was more sparse then that's a big fire yeah wiped out the th northern thumb just took the yeah. whole forest it's a good background music going with sirens you hear that yeah I like that it could be a fire around us we don't even know <laughs> actually yeah. last time we recorded there was a fire but it was a controlled burn <laughs> remember that yeah we got done recording and i'm like i smell smoke and i thought some electronics were <laughs> were burning i'm like that's not electronics that's like 
tender fire and you're like, oh, there's a fire over there. There's a farmer next well, to Well, it was so dry and it was so windy. Yeah, but, but he had the sprinkler, the big yeah, yeah. irrigation sprinkler. Like, right he had over. a truck there too, like yeah, a yeah. tinker truck. But. He was just trying to burn some brush piles going on. Yeah, well, we'll have to see how it affects our season. It'll be interesting. I can tell you just visual inspection of the eastern UP and northern Michigan the last few years where we've been doing the primary primary bunch of our hunting is uh, it, there's a lot of dry tender on the forest floors. and That's not good. That's not good. What about, have you seen anything for like South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, anything out there that you're aware of? Or I, I haven't looked, just... but I, I will. I won't do it this minute, but I will because I wonder if they're facing the same threat, especially Wisconsin, Minnesota. Uh, did you, you said you talked to that guy in Idaho, the veterinarian guests that were got lined up, to de- or you just emailed them? Or something? We were just emailing. Oh, okay. He was up at his cabin that I totally want. Yeah, yeah, you sent me that picture. That was awesome. It looked like a magazine. Photo. It looked exactly like, like a, a magazine. Even a magazine. had a kayaker out there fishing. Yeah. Mountain in the background with the snow on it. Uh, yeah, that's a nice place. That's it. Well, I don't want to give his cabin away. I'll right. tell. You, I'll tell you later. I, I well, when we have him on as a guest, we can talk about yeah. his cabin more than anything. This cabin's <laughs> right here at these <laughs> coordinates on your GPS. Go there now. He'll wake up tomorrow morning. There'll be three new kayaks out there. Yeah. Those idiots. Yeah. So kind of interested to hear what uh, the Western UP is looking like and what Dennis has to say. And uh, we'll wrap that up and uh, get on with our guest, I guess, huh? That sounds good. All right. Hey, the Burt Camp Podcast is back, and we are excited and honored to have Dennis Stackowitz with us. Dennis Stackowitz is with Aspen Thicket Grouse Dogs. And uh, I guess you can't say the Western UP, kind of central in the uh, Gwyn Mark, uh, the Gwyn area, we'll say. Fair enough, Dennis. Fair enough. Well, welcome That's a good to call. W- welcome to the Covey. That's uh, what we call our people when they come in and or follow us or listen to us. So, uh, welcome to the Covey. We look, we look forward to talking to you. And uh, okay. what kind of dogs are, are you? Uh, are you raising dogs and or training dogs there? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I don't normally get a lot a whole lot of popularity it's more of a word of mouth thing so this is really cool for me to be able to be on here so first and foremost thanks um we have a small kennel in Gwyn, and i breed and raise german short hair pointers um i also do training for people um i do a lot of intro work for young puppies and then my my niche has been uh, getting dogs tuned up for guys in the grouse woods later in the season. Once we can run on wild birds, uh, I take dogs and put them into my string and uh, go out and get them into those wild birds and get them in shape and get them tightened up on those wild birds so guys can have dogs ready to go come bird season. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, on top of that, we do do some guided hunts. Um, I have a day job, um, but, uh, you know, but kennel has been my passion. I've been I've been lucky over the years. I got into German short hair pointers, actually, uh, when I moved up to the UP. This is a really interesting story. For as, as much as I'm into dogs, uh, when I was growing up, I, I grew up in the suburb of, of Milwaukee, and it wasn't feasible for us to have a dog. And my dad was a grouse hunter, and he took me grouse hunting, and we grouse hunted without dogs. And we always wanted a dog, but it just wasn't feasible for us with the location and the limited amount of time that we did go up to our 
family cabin, which is just south of Iron River, Michigan, on the Wisconsin side, which was still in the family. I maintain it now and own it. But um, so when I when I got out of the military and got out of college and I packed up my shit and moved up to the UP, uh, first thing I was going to do, being a grouse hunter, I was like, I'm finally going to get a dog. And so, you know, I was talking to family members and stuff, and they're like, you know, your grandpa used to have German short hairs. He used to love those dogs. And I, I never really remembered that aspect of it because a lot of times when I was seeing my grandpa was we were going to a big thing in Wisconsin back then was the was the ballrooms and the polka halls and stuff. And he played accordion, had his band, and he's in the polka hall of fame, blah, blah, blah. But I never had a lot of interaction with him or hunted with him with those dogs. So it, it drew some interest to me that, hey, you know, somebody in my family had bird dogs and he had German short hairs and, well, shit, he's my grandpa. He knows shit about shit. So he probably, you know, that's probably a damn good dog. So I bought a German short hair and this is a really kind of unique story or maybe not. I mean, it happens to some people, but I struck gold on my first one, right? And I... <laughs> I did not know shit about dogs at the time, right? All I knew is I wanted a German short hair because they looked pretty and my grandpa had them. So I saw an advertisement for a litter of German short haired pointers down in Escanaba, Michigan, which is probably about an hour away from me. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, I, I didn't know that there were all these high speed kennels and all these bloodlines and these dogs and all that stuff. I thought you'd just go buy a goddamn hunting dog and get a fucking hunting dog. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I talked to this guy and, and ended up buying a dog from him. And his name is Patrick McCurian, but over the years we have become really good friends and he is kind of like one of my soulmates at grouse hunting. Cause we think alike and, and, and uh, I bought this dog, and, you know, here's this dog that comes out of this garage in Escanaba. I didn't know shit about training a dog. I just taught the dog his name, you know, got him through gunfire. I trained him to get through gunfire with a grouse tail uh, duct taped to a bumper. And he loved this bumper, and he loved to play fetch. So I, I duct taped a fucking grouse tail to it. And when he would, he'd, uh, we'd play fetch with it. And when I'd throw it up in the air, I'd shoot the blank pistol and he'd bring it back to me. <laughs> now, now that I know what I know about dog training, what a fucking dumb way to train your dog to gunfire. But it didn't, you know, it didn't bother that dog. It was like, he was my one dog and he was my companion. And it's almost like that dog knew it. And, Man, that son of a bitch was good. I, I took that dog. So, you know, first year or two I had him, you know, he would point some birds and he was pretty good. And we had this, uh, there was like this hunting club in Escanaba that had opened up. And I, I took him down there one day and they had one of those fun trials and the dog just kicked the shit out of all the other dogs down there, you know. <laughs> and there was this guy there and he's like, you know, don't think about running this dog in a cover dog trial. And he's got English pointers and stuff. And I'm like, well, all right, I don't know better. So I sign him up and I take him down to Gladwin and I run him in the hunting dog stakes and the dog kicks the living shit out of all these pointers <laughs> and setters in the hunting dog stakes. And we won it. 
Nice. And I mean, his that dog's name was Gunner, and that dog was. He was phenomenal, man. That dog pointed over a thousand grouse in his lifetime. Oh. I can't tell you how many we shot. And what what year did du- hey Dennis, what year did Gunner win? Uh, I wanna say that was around two thousand five, somewhere okay. around there. Hmm. Good. And uh uh, 2005 or 2006, I'd have to ask Bobby Wheelock. You probably remember better than I do, but I, I, I have the award on the wall of my kennel. And so, you know, that dog was so damn good that I, I started researching his pedigree. And it turns out that, you know, this dog is like a grandson of Hill Haven's Hustler, which was an awesome dog in the short hair world. And he's, he's also got a bunch of Mosgards. Uh, stuff on the top of his kennel and I learned about those lines and uh, you know I'm into it so I get another dog uh, this passion starts growing and I had this female and she was fairly decent her name was uh, Gretchen Gretchen in the moonlight was her registered name <laughs> which I have you talk about one of those good hunting stories I'll give you a good one for her that's kind of a tearjerker at the end okay but, we'll, we'll save that for first best or last yeah, but um, so I wanted to breed her, and I, you know, I couldn't breed her to guns because I didn't know shit about dogs, and I got his nuts cut off when he was like four months old oh. because, you know, like that's the thing you did back then. Right. You didn't know much about dogs. You get a male dog and you cut his nuts off because you don't want him pissing around the house and stuff like that. And by the way, like, the whole argument against spay or neuter and when you should do it or whatever. If I ever had a male dog, I would neuter him at the same time I neutered that dog, which was only four months old, and it flies in the face of what everybody says. But that dog was a happy-ass puppy his entire life. Hmm. And he never got those hormones to go through his body to make him a dick. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he never had any health problems. He lived to be 12 and a half years old, and I ended up having to put him to sleep because he got... Uh, like vestibular neuritis really, really bad to the point where he couldn't walk yeah. uh, without being on prednisone. And it's all, you know, that's all the shitty tragic story at the end of it. But anyhow, so I've got this female and, and, you know, guns doesn't have his balls. So who the fuck do I call? I'm like, well, I'm going to call this Patrick guy because fucking his dog threw some good dogs and he had good lines and it turns out right. So Patrick's dog was the son of a Walnut Hill dog by the name of Snips Ticked Off and a dog known as Rip. And he's like the winningest dog in Nastra history. He's like a fucking 10-time champion. Hmm. He's a... So Patrick has this dog named Baron, and he's like, sure, you can breed Baron. Oh, but, oh, by the way, Baron is uh, looking for a home because I took a job in Detroit, and it's just not fair for this dog would you take the dog and let him live the rest of his life in the UP? And that was our breeding deal. And that was the birth of Aspen Thicket Grouse Dog. So, oh, oh, nice. Uh, nice. I bred, uh, I bred Baron to Gretchen, and I kept Panzer out of that. And Panzer's still alive now, but he's sired, oh, I think four litters. Of... And I imagine there's no waiting list at all for the pups. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah there is, actually. <laughs> That was a little cynicism. We, uh, I don't breed every year. I breed 
basically when I need a dog, um, I tend to breed because I've actually gone through the process of buying dogs from other kennels and they just didn't meet my standards. And I've had some good mentors over the years. And, uh, you know, Rick Hopkins and Brenda Rowe down at Walnut Hills Kennels in Georgia have been good friends and they breed the best dogs in the country. And they've given me very sage advice because they've made the mistakes and they will tell you flat out, you only breed the best of the best period. Otherwise you're, you're fucking up the bloodlines and they're right, you know, and and along with that, there's other, other subtle nuances, you know, like breeding dogs is almost, it's about 90% homework and 10% luck because there's luck involved with it. But you know, you can, you can do your, your, your genetic ends of the thing. And we do, I look what my inbreeding coefficient is on these dogs and stuff like that. But, you know, every dog has a hole. And my dog training mentor by the name of Bob Ross had always said that. And, and he said, you know what, you pick the hole you can live with. Hmm. And that's, that's the God honest truth, right? Now I know as breeding my line of dogs, I've been breeding these dogs for the better part of, I think it's like year 16 now. I know what the hole of my dogs are. And I can tell you with, uh, with my current line of dogs, one of their holes is their, their front right foot is cocked out that makes them look like they walk like a duck in the front end. They'd never pass uh, a confirmation title. If you took them to the show ring, they'd probably get laughed at. Yeah. But I have yet to have a right shoulder injury and I have all of their elbows come out clear, but they actually look kind of funny because they look like they're duck footed in the front. And I haven't tried to correct it because it's not a fucking problem. It's right. a hole I can live with. Well, truthfully, now, truthfully, in some of the swamps I've been in hunting birds, I, a little duck foot, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Gives you a little yeah. better balance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, and that's, that's the philosophy I've taken with this is, you know, you, you breed the best to the best. And I've, I've had dogs that I bought from other kennels to bring in the breeding program and, you know, one of them was a, a tad bit aggressive and he was male aggressive and well, fuck you, buddy. It's time for you to go. Cause you, you know, it, as crass as it making may sound, people that know me will tell you my saying is if I can't breed them, I won't feed them. And, and that, that, you know, that's somewhat of a business decision more than anything else, yeah. because you know, this doesn't mean they're a shitty dog. It just means they have a hole that I don't want to tolerate. Right. You know, if I have a kennel full of dogs and I've got a male dog in there that thinks he's a badass all the time, but I get the when there's a female in heat, you don't let the males out together, right? Because yeah. they're going to be dead. Male dogs are teenage boys that just found out about their special purpose. <laughs> and they are. They are. And when there is a female in heat, all they want to do is screw and fight to prove who is the better one. And that's been that way in every dog kennel. And if you talk to people that say their dogs aren't like that, um, one of every 99 is probably right. The 99 other ones are lying through their teeth. Yeah. Yeah. That's just biology. Hey, uh, yeah, it is exactly. That's biology. Yeah. So, 
you know, you breed the best of the best, and, and you pick a hole that you can live with. Um, you know, and also another hole I have with my dogs is them fuckers don't back. They, I, I can train them all day long to back, and they'll look great in the yard, and I get them in the woods. They have such a drive to point birds that they will look at that other dog, look at you, and they will fucking take a hard right or a hard left and go hunt someplace else. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Hey, it is, it is, you know, and I I don't, and I tell people that, look, you know, if you hunt with other dogs here to tell you that the pup you get from me, the fucker's not going to back. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I can't explain it other than they got so much drive that they want to find another bird that they're going to yeah. flip you off. And they've all been like that. That's carried through. Now, I did, I shouldn't say all. I, I bought a, a female from a good friend of mine, Mike Johnson. He runs Black Point Kennels over in uh, over in Moran, where kind of close to where you guys yeah. grew up at yeah. over in that end. Mike's got great short hairs, and, and he and I have been breeding together back and forth about the past 10 years. And uh, I got one from him that she's a natural backer. So, you know, I, when I breed her to stout, hopefully some of that carries over, and and then 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 we'll start seeing that a little bit. But, yeah, you know, it's it's been an interesting ride, and there's – there's a lot of shit that goes on behind the scenes when it comes time to make a decision on keeping a dog and breeding a dog that most people wouldn't be able to live with. I'm sure Especially, it's very, you know, yeah. and it's a, it's a good lesson for my kids too. I mean, I hope I don't, I hope I'm not fucking them up mentally or something, you know, like uh, here's this puppy we got, you got to learn how to love it. And Oh, by the way, if it has something I don't like, we're fucking selling it. <laughs> you know, that'll teach you but, son <laughs> teach yeah. you. don't get too attached yeah yeah hey, exactly junior, the, junior, don't know. get too attached yeah you, you two kids you better behave yourselves yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you two kids you look what's happening with the dogs if you if you don't you're meet next. my standards you're out the door too hey, yeah, hey, Dennis, right, yeah. hey Dennis let me ask you this um in addition to the kennel part of the business you do half and full day uh hunts yeah i do yep and uh, can you give us an idea what what that would look like? Yeah, so we do we do guided hunts, um, and I, I picked up an associate guide by the name Stephen Tacey. I'm sure you guys may know him. He runs the uh, I think it's Michigan Grouse Hunters page on Facebook, and he's got a, he's got a pointer he trials, and then he's got a pointer and a couple setters that he hunts with, and uh, we do guided hunts out of my place. Uh, Mostly October is the time frame that people want guided hunts from us. We do full day hunts up to two guns. Um, our current rate is 500 bucks a day, and that includes transportation. Um, our dogs are yours. Most people choose a combination thereof. Um, you know, like they'll hunt uh, one hunt with their dog and then two or three with ours or whatnot. And, uh, and that includes a, a lunch, and, and that's from sun up to sundown. Okay. And that's a that's a full day, up to two guns. We don't take any more than two people because it can really get to be a shit show in the grouse woods. Yeah. I think you guys know that from yeah. a safety perspective. Yeah, we always split our party um, up. We, we usually split up when we do have five or six. All, all of these guys have hunted with us for years. Yeah, so, but yeah. It, and our and our, our guys, Stephen and I, we don't we don't carry guns and get involved in the hunt or anything. We're there to handle the dogs. Yeah, 
and and make life enjoyable. Uh, are you, you. Per- and, are you pretty booked up for the fall? Yeah, actually, I've been blessed. So I don't know. This is one of those things where it's better to be lucky or good. Um, but most of my clients are repeat clients from the get go. Um, I have a couple group of guys that have been with me from the start that come back every year because they've had such a good time. And then, you know, of course they brag me up and uh, I get some requests and that's where I had to bring Steven on because, you know, here I've got these guys that enjoy the experience and want other people to enjoy it as well. But then I can't offer them the time because I got a day job and I want to hunt for myself sometimes too. (laughs) So, but uh, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it, and I particularly get enjoyment out of kind of showcasing my dogs because oh, sure. German, German short hairs are not traditionally known as grouse dogs, right? It's a, it's a setter and pointer dominated world. Um, there was a time where Britneys were considered grouse dogs and stuff, and there's still some decent ones out there, but... You know, the short hair has never really been known as a true grouse dog. They're they're like the versatile dog that, you know, what they're bred for, you can take them duck hunting, and they're hell on pheasants, man. I, I can remember my dad taking me uh, hunting for pheasants when I was younger, and, I mean, you go down around Iowa, and I swear to God, it was it was like fucking local ordinance to have a German short hair because there was one in every driveway. Hmm. And... You know, they're just hell on pheasants, but they're, you know, people think that because they're a pheasant dog and they're a tracking dog that they, you know, they, they can't handle grouse because they'll put the grouse up because when they relocate with the grouse or whatever, try and track it, they bump it and put it up. And that's, I'm here to tell you, that's a, that's a load of shit. Hey, Dennis, let me ask, (laughs) this is Kevin. Let me ask you this. If we scheduled a hunt with you and we showed up in smart cars, would you, would you react at all? <laughs> no. See, we're watching you. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys have been watching me, man. I mean, okay. Here's another question. Uh, your guides are—is that on public or private land? It's a combination of both. Okay. Um, where I live at in the UP, we have fifty-six thousand acres of state land, so I get a. I get a guiding permit from the state of Michigan to be able to guide on state land. But I'll be honest with you. Most of my guiding occurs on paper company land. Yeah. And, um, that's a, you know, that's a good resource that's available. It's, I can't, I don't have any complaints about our state forest up here. It is managed great. And they put in those gems trails and, you know, the gems trails, I'm often opinionated about those on Facebook, but I have no one to blame for myself because I was one of the fucking guys that was on the original committee that came up with the damn idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You got to look look in the mirror at that one, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's one of those things that it's a tragedy of the commons, right? I mean, here we're looking for a way to get new grouse hunters into the game or have some hunting available for, you know, kids or elderly people to kind of make it a little bit easier for them. Yeah. But the whole thing that we overlooked was like the millennial cohort and grouse hunting is the new sexy. 
Okay. And I don't think we were anticipating that, but if you look at social media, you can't, you, it's hard to argue that grouse hunting is not the new sexy. It is. Everybody wants to grouse hunt. Everybody wants to get a dog and everybody wants to go out and grouse hunt. And I think part of that comes from the whole dynamic of social media and the fucking self gratification that comes with it. Right. Yeah. Here it is. I, I I'm, or, or is it they person, just want to be like person. you and us? I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Hey, let's go there, man. Dennis, you, well, me, you me, and my brother are now cool after all these yeah. years. They want to be like us. That's right. The only well, problem, yeah, hey, I Dennis, mean, the only problem is, is they haven't walked 10,000 miles yet. You're right. No, you're right. You're right. And along with that comes the, and that, that generation is known as the instant gratification yeah. generation, right? They, they had the helicopter parents. I mean, they, they got a fucking trophy for tying their shoes and showing up to some sporting event, whether they sucked at it or they were good at it. And I mean, it's, I don't bash on them. I have friends that are millennials. I have friends that put in hard work, but in a general stereotype of them, they turned it into the new sexy with those fucking videos, you know, and they're creative. And those, some of those videos are really cool. And they're oh, yeah, fun it's like to watching watch. a movie. Yeah, you know, it's like watching a movie, and it and it's suddenly become sexy. But it there are a lot of negative spinoffs to that that people don't think about, right? If I bitch about it on social media, it's well, that dude's just fucking selfish. Uh, no, well, but they're not seeing the end of it that I'm seeing, okay? Because I'm getting the phone calls from people who are now buying dogs, right? And if they're going into the game of buying dogs nowadays, it's different than it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you could buy a dog out of somebody's garage, especially in the UP. That was a half-ass decent hunting dog, right? Because that's, that's how it was. Somebody had some, somebody knew somebody that had a hunting dog and the other guy had a kick-ass hunting dog and they let them screw and they threw off puppies that, You'd pay a couple hundred bucks for it and they'd hunt their ass off. Yeah, that, that was but my my I'm first my you. first dog was Jake. That's exactly what you just explained. Mm-hmm. Three hundred mm-hmm. bucks. Yeah. Right. And he was but great. Now, he was a good dog. Yeah. yeah. But what people don't see behind the scenes, and I see this because I run a training kennel, right? Yeah. There are people that fall for bullshit and look, that that's just the nature of the business, right? So now you have these unscrupulous breeders that are breeding shit, but they know people will buy them because it's the new sexy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So somebody makes an investment in a dog that is not necessarily a dog that could make a good grouse dog, right? It's a, it's a dog that definitely has more holes, but somebody's breeding them to make money because they know there's a grouse hunting is a new sexy and somebody's going to buy that dog. Right. So then I get the phone call or I get the dog in for training and I got to be the bearer of bad news. Like, Hey, I can fix your dog and I can help you with it. This can take a lot of money and it's going to take a lot of time. And and along with that, even if they get a decent bred dog from a good kennel, I don't think like you mentioned the the walk in 10,000 miles. I don't think they knew that 
coming into the sport that this is not a sport of instant gratification. No, and it's not sitting looking at a video game or sitting in a deer blind. And that's my comment. It may be the new sexy, but when they realize how much work it is, yeah, I think they'll move on. They'll move on. Right. But you don't it, want them to get stuck with a dog. That's what Dennis Yeah, is and I understand what yeah. Dennis is saying. But the good news for us is the 10 or 15% that's left behind, they're, they're going to be grouse hunters. They're going to be up oh, yeah. hunters. And yeah, those they're dogs, definitely going to, and they're going to learn and they're going to reach out on social media, listen to podcasts, and they're going to get guests like you that explain these things to them. And yeah. So just, part of me, you know, part of me likes the, I like the mystique of grouse hunting because when I grouse hunted with my dad, there weren't a lot of us, man. We were like the fucking weirdos. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The grouse hunters were always the weirdos. And I, growing up in Wisconsin, okay, we musky fish. And back in the day, the musky fisherman was also the weirdo. But there was a certain um, certain attitude of, I don't want to say aristocratic or, you know, thinking you're better than someone, but it was a solitary sport, right? Right. I mean, you, you, you go out grouse hunting, it's, and the way I, I, I never hunt with more than one dog, and it's one man, one dog, one bird. And there's a solitude that goes along with that, that... To me, that is kind of like the mystique of grouse hunting. It's hard, but yet it's really cool. And that's how musky fishing was. But all of a sudden, there was a point in time where musky fishing became sexy. And the next thing you know, it's a fucking tournament on a lake every weekend. And everybody's buying boats. And everybody's buying musky fishing equipment. And suddenly you go to these lakes in northern Wisconsin that the boat landings were like the end of a two track road where somebody would throw a couple of two by four. So you didn't get stuck. Yeah. And, and next thing you know, there's like, you can walk across the lake on boats and the state's putting in a boat landing to accommodate it. Yeah. And although we want more people into grouse hunting, there's a certain part of me that's a little bit selfish. That's like, well, wait a minute. That's, that's not what grouse hunting is to me. Right. Grouse hunting to me is not lining up four guys in the woods with three dogs and going after it like crazy, you know, or buying all this equipment and all this shit and, and just making it super popular. I liked it because it was hard and it was just me doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that's a selfish aspect of it and the challenge of it. And I think a lot of people coming into it don't understand it. It's kind of like, you know, I, my youngest son, right? My oldest son is really athletic and he's a very accomplished wrestler at his age. And his, his younger brother likes wrestling, but we always say about his younger brother, he likes the idea of wrestling, right? And that's the way I think it is with a lot of this uh, grouse hunting being sexy, right? People like it, but they like the idea of it because once they get into it, in order to be very proficient at it, you have to be able to like failure. You have to be able to be very resilient, yep. and you have to be able to learn. And, it, and it's not just a matter of, I'm going to get a dog, and then I'm going to post on Facebook and ask somebody a good place to go grouse hunting so I can shoot up a couple birds and put it on Instagram and look like a hero. Yeah, <laughs> you they're, know they're out there. That shit doesn't work. And you know what? There are people out there. That's my biggest pet peeve. And I know there are people out there that are like Instagram heroes. Their dogs aren't worth two pinches of monkey shit. 
<laughs> you know, and it's the whole false representation of, hey, look at me type thing, you know, and it is what it is. You know, I'm all for people in the sport. I'm all for it. But I mean, just this whole big push, I think has been a little bit too much because when you look at natural resource ecosystems, right, there's such a thing as carrying capacity. And I, and there's only so much pressure that can be handled. And, you know, people can make arguments that, well, yeah, Gordon Gillian, he studied the rough grouse and, you know, the rough grouse hunting mortality was, was, was just, it was considered compensatory uh, mortality because, you know, hunters actually don't do that much damage. Prey do more damage than that. Gordon Gillian did that study in fucking 1969 or somewhere down there, right? <laughs> you know, and, and if he was alive today and looking at those statistics, I would think he would tell a very different story on that. And it's also becoming a social carrying capacity issue, right? Because when you get to the point that there's so many people that want to grouse hunt that you think you find a really cool spot and you go back there and you park and you're in there hunting. And next thing you know, somebody parks next to your rig and they start hunting the other side of it. That just doesn't sit well with people. And it shouldn't. I mean, that that is a social, that's a social carrying capacity issue. So here you have this, you know, you want to bring more people into the sport because you want the wildlife agency to focus on that rough grouse and you want them to cut trees and do the habitat management. So you want to promote grouse hunting. But on the other hand, you got the fucking 10 percenters that, you know, are just going to be dicks about it and it's going to create social issues. And I think we're kind of at that point right now. It could be. Yeah. It's a, it's a changing experience, isn't it? And as as it is. We're accepting. It is. Hey, but I, I, you know, I agree with you guys. I, I think there's a lot of people that are going to find out. You know, it might be a little bit too hard, and they'll they'll probably move on because these things. Oh, oh Dennis, cycles, we've we've had it with know? guys we've hunted with. They've either physically moved on, or they just realized it wasn't for them. Yeah, the, and, the time effort of it was the time. Too much. The time That's effort. What most of them. The are. miles. Yeah. The constant conversation on strategy and where yeah. the birds are, you know, it's not for everybody. But, hey, I got about right. three more things we'd like to cover with you real quick. Okay, uh, sure, let's go. The first one's just a question for the listeners. For a dog you're going to train and the owner, what's the best and worst trait that you want to see? Um, I would prefer to have an owner who knows nothing about the dog and doesn't have any friends that will tell him to do it a different way. Um, <laughs> it's so, it sounds like, and I would, that's good advice. That's that's strong. What about the dog? You're just looking for best and worst. I lo- uh, the best trait that I can tell anyone to look for in a dog is to buy a dog from a well-respected kennel that has a lot of references. Okay. That's yeah. good. And what would you tell somebody who is anxious to get a puppy if just to be patient, wait in line? Absolutely. Yeah. Be patient and wait for the right dog. Uh, I'll give you a, uh, I'll try to keep it really short, but I'll give you two examples, right? Okay. I got some pups from Mike Johnson's kennel. Mike breeds beautiful German short hairs, and he's not well known, but, and, and we do too, by the way, but, 
that's I don't want to sound arrogant on that, so I'll use Mike as an example. And if somebody calls me and says, "Hey, I bought a pup from Mike. Will you help me get it started?" I like almost drool over myself because I know he's breeding great dogs, and I know they're going to be super easy to train if somebody just doesn't fuck them up first. And I will get that dog in from him, and it, literally in two weeks. I will have that dog introduced to birds, broke to gunfire, and pointing birds. Nice. And I will send it home to its owner, and it will take it hunting in the first season. And, yeah, it'll bump a few of its first grouse, but it will come around. It'll have the foundation. And the next thing you know, by the middle of October, I'm getting a text with a picture of, man, I just had the most awesome day with this dog. Thank you. Oh, nice. man. That's, that's awesome. Nice. That's got to be a great and that's a, yeah. that's a dog that comes from a line of dogs that are hunting dogs that are, have strong pointing instincts and a lot of drive. And they've, and they've been doing it for a long time. They, they breed the hunting dogs. Where's Mike at? Now on the flip side, oh. I've gotten dogs on the flip side. I've had dogs come in that, you know, so-and-so got from somebody they know, you know, it might be a guy that had two good dogs, like, Picture the scenario in the olden days. This guy's got a good dog. This other guy's got a good dog. They breed him. Well, you know what? That doesn't play out anymore. It really doesn't. Or they, you know, they might buy it in the parking lot of Jays or something like that. And you, you get the dog in for training. And like, for instance, okay, so my litter of puppies, you guys have followed me on Facebook. When yeah. they're five weeks old and they're in, they're in the litter, they're chasing birds, man. Yeah, I saw and that. I, yeah. And I do that because they're not afraid of anything because they're in the pack. So they're mouthing birds and they're chasing birds and that bird introduction, right? And most good breeders do that kind of thing. Well, here if you have a dog that's not from a you know well-established kennel, that doesn't mean that all of them are bad, right? There are some good ones out there. But let's talk about odds, right? Your odds of getting the world beater, Okay. I get that dog in, and I show the dog a bird, and I know you guys have seen this on my videos before. I I put the uh, I put the 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 bird with its wings locked on the ground, and the dog runs up to it, sniffs it, and runs away from it. Yeah, it's almost like freaking out, right? Like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, oh, and did you get, you got to spend two to three days introducing the dog to a bird to see if you can milk out that somewhere there's a genetic propensity in that dog that it's going to be driven for birds, but you have to milk it out of the dog. So you spend some time doing that, right? So then you move on to the next stage where you put it on a tether and the wings are flapping. Well, if that dog doesn't have prey drive out the ass, you got to be careful because you don't want the wing to hit the dog in the nose because it might scare the damn dog. And then you have a problem where it might be a little bit bird shy. Uh So then you got to take a few days to do that. Once it can deal with that, then you let it start chasing birds. Okay. And then you get into the gunfire portion of it and then you're two weeks into it. Right. Then after you get through that, you're going to find out whether that dog's hasn't got any natural pointing ability. And that's, That's the biggest thing that I've been seeing over the past two years with dogs that are not coming from the, you know, the really good kennel for people aren't waiting for the good dog. Right. That's the obstacles. Yep. 
the pointing the, uh, the, the pointing genes yeah, to recessed. Yeah. 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 The, the 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 whole the whole genetic for pointing and that strong pointing instinct is not present in a lot of those dogs, and you got to milk it out. And there's some dogs I I have a couple in now, and, uh, and the owners are great, man. They did what they're supposed to do. They didn't mess up the dogs, but the dog just doesn't have a lot of pointing instinct. And and when it's a young dog and it doesn't have a lot of pointing instinct, it's not like you can just put them on a check cord and make them point. You can, but then you're going to r- risk the chance of maybe making the dog blink birds because it's too much pressure for the dog at a young age and so on and so forth. And then what happens is, Okay, I send that dog home. It's got its basic foundation. You go run it on wild birds for a little while, and it bumps and chases wild birds, and it does that. And they have a frustrating, you know, first or second season with the dog. And then I got to take it back later on, now that it can handle a little pressure, and then spend more time trying to milk the pointing instinct out of that dog. When the fact of the matter is, fucking pointing dogs should be bred to point. Yeah. And people, yeah. and that's where it comes down to: people are not. The breeders, there's a lot of breeders that aren't doing their part on that end of it. Hey, hey Dennis, and, let, let, let's push to a conclusion here. Uh, okay. Not to cut you off. What's the fire right. da- fire danger? I looked at the fire map earlier, and it looks like west uh, west and south is okay, but the rest of the UP is pretty bad. No, it's higher than the nuts on a giraffe right now. Yeah, that's just great <laughs> weather explanation. <laughs> you can't say the other thing on a giraffe because I've seen that in a zoo, and that's not very high. But um, um, it's just really dry and with all the it's, tenders. It's dry. And, yeah. and, you know, we've had sporadic rain enough to where there's a lot of insects around, so I think I think what you're leading into is about the projected yeah. bird hatch. I think it's going to be pretty good. Okay, good. We had a really good carryover of birds from last year. Um, truth in advertising, my average, uh, my flush rate last year was five and a half birds an hour. Wow, that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah I, th- I think we flew, uh, I want to say, close to 700 birds over 20-some days or something. That's it was, incredible. It was really good. Um, we had good carryover. We had a mild winter. The one thing that does kind of freak me out is like, it always happens every year is right around the time of the hatch. We had three days of 45 degrees in rain. Mm. And I don't know what that means. Um, you know, we've had, now I will say that drumming lasted a lot longer this year than it has in other years. And I have seen years where, when that drumming lasts a little bit later, they they compensate for losing their chicks by having a second hatch. Yep, I've heard that too. I've heard and, that. Uh, and I've shot some of those birds, man. Holy shit, you feel guilty. You shoot one and it's got a, it's got a tail feather about as long as your thumbnail. Yeah, um, seen a few. You know, they look like a look like a baby quail. But yeah. uh, hey, let's. Yeah, se- I think I think we're good. Let, let's segue into. Uh... You promised us a Gretchen story, first, best, or last uh, grouse story. Yeah, so my Gretchen was the second dog I ever owned, and that dog lived, I was like almost 16 years, man. That's unheard of. Yeah. And she had been retired for about, I want to say about three years. From the time she was 13, she'd be retired. I'd take her out once a year. Just go let her point a bird and shoot a bird over it. Matter of fact, Perry Masati came up one year and did a little story about it, and it was really cool. Well, this last year, you know, she had 
she had been going downhill pretty good, but it, it wasn't one of those things where I thought it was going to be the end or whatnot, but it was one of these things that I just woke up in the morning and I was like, you know, it's a nice day. I'm not going to go to work today. I'm going to take the old girl out hunting and we're just going to go spend a fucking day. I'm going to go take her out and, and go on a little hunt and, you know, come back and enjoy the day and stuff like that. Cause she's getting old, blah, 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 you know? Well, I took her out and I said, you know, let's go out behind the house. We, I know there's some house grouse out there and I, you know, I don't want to overwork her and stuff like that and stress her, take her in the car. And so we, we get like, down to the river behind the house, we get into the low ground, man, and she immediately fucking swaps ends on point, and a grouse just busts out right to left cross her. I shoot, drop the bird. She's deafer in the fucking doornail. She didn't even hear the gun go off, you know. Bird's flapping over here. She's still standing there on point, and uh, so I grab the bird, and I bring it over to her, and I took a couple of pictures, and I I couldn't find the shell. And there's a tradition that I do with my dogs. The first grouse and the last grouse, I keep the shotgun shell and the tail fan and I put it in a bag and I seal it. And I, it's just for me. I don't, I don't know if my, my kids are going to probably think I'm fucking weird. Well, that's kind of cool, but actually. for every dog I own, I have the first and last grouse combination of tail fan and shotgun shell. That's really cool. You ever put that like I in a shadow box or? Yeah, what I do is like, well, I, when when they when they pass away, I get them cremated and they get a little cherry box, and then I I put that up there. Oh, cool. Um, okay. with, with each one of those boxes and their collar. That's nice. And that's, uh, that's really yeah. cool. So I couldn't find that fucking shell, and I'm just like, well, I'm thinking to myself, well, that's probably a pretty good omen then, you know, and. uh we went back, and, man, I shit you not, uh, hold back the tears, man. She died like three days later. Oh, oh no. And, but she went downhill so rapidly from that bird that I was convinced that she was waiting for me to take her hunting one last time. Oh, oh yeah, Dennis, I, I'm a believer in that on dogs and humans. I tell my brother when it's time, because I'm quite a bit older than him, one last walk. That's what I say to him. Yeah. That's what she and was saying to you. That is one yeah, last and it's walk. Funny. That's what it's a younger funny how those slug. <laughs> it's, it's, it's how those those dogs know that shit. Yeah. And she was just waiting for that last grouse. And I shit you not, it wasn't more than a couple days after that she was gone. Hmm. That I mean, it, it went it went like overnight, and it was not a matter of timing for me, because I could tell by the look she gave me afterwards with that bird, it was more than thanks for taking me hunting. It was thanks for sixteen years. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. And it, that's powerful to me, man. I'm choking back right now, but yeah, you know, that, that was that was some magical shit. You know, I, there was one other instance too that that real quick like. My gunner dog, my first one, the day he, uh, the day after his father died, because Baron was a little bit older, I had, I shot a bird over Baron in this one spot. And I, it was Baron's last grouse. And the day after I had to put Baron down, 
I took Gunner to that spot, and I shit you not, he pointed a fucking grouse under the same goddamn tree, <laughs> and I killed it for him. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And so to this cool. day, to this day, and I never even thought of this idea, but my, my mentor, Bob, who was hunting with me, he said, you know, the old man threw him that bird. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, Pass, that, that's, what, that's the kind of shit I hope we believe in as grouse hunters. Because oh there yeah, is, Our there is magic in this. Stuff. There is magic in it, and that's a passing a baton right there. They just pass a baton. Well, Absolutely. Dennis, I, we loved having you on, Dennis Stackowitz hey, with Aspen. Appreciate Thicket. it, guys. Aspen yeah. Thicket. Hey. Hold on a second, Dennis. With Aspen Thicket <laughs> Grouse Dogs, um, up in the mid to western UP, uh, and uh, go ahead and give us a plug. Tell tell the listeners out there, Dennis, how to find you. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Aspen Thicket Grouse Dogs. We have a Facebook page there. Uh, people are interested in dog training, guided hunts, or whatever. You can message me for there. You can look me up on Facebook under Dennis Stackwitz, but you do that at your own risk. <laughs> and anybody that wants to get a hold of me, you can call me 906-458-1287. I'll be glad to help you out with your dog. But all I ask is that you be honest with me. If you fucked it up or your brother-in-law helped you fuck it up, tell me that up front because it's important that dog trainers know that because we we can fix it, but we'll go a different route. Yeah. Right, exactly. All right, Dennis, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. We're going to move on to our next segment, and we appreciate it. And welcome to the Covey, Dennis. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. See you in the woods. All right. See you soon. And we're back with the Bird Camp Podcast. We'd like to thank uh, Dennis Stackowitz, Dennis Stackowitz of Aspen Thin Grouse Dogs. He was definitely an upland hunter. Yeah. And definitely excited. Yeah, definitely a storyteller. And a storyteller. Great storyteller. Great storyteller. That was... uh, You can tell by his tone and his stories that he is very experienced in what he does. What I get is passion. Yeah. Passionate about the sport, passionate about the dogs. And that's wonderful. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, I'm probably a year from a dog. Uh, well, yeah. I'm going to lose a dog here shortly. So yeah. I've, I'm on the, my wife and I alternate back and forth, you know, over yeah. several yeah, years. You, you, you want the toy poodle and she wants no, the no, no, dog. No, 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 no. Maybe I'll give Dennis a call here in a year. Yeah, or so. I, I might be on the list. I might get on the list too. That'd be yeah. A, yeah. Mine would be Ralph. I, I just want to name you a dog. You can't name a dog until you get the puppy. You got to name Ralph, man. Come so on, man. You get up every morning and go, morning, Ralph. Just wait for the morning. He says, morning, Sam. You should change your Alexa to Ralph. <laughs> there you go. If you could. I guess yeah. you can't. So thanks again to Dennis. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, digging the new song. Yeah, thanks to uh, Jim Halliday, who was a high school classmate of mine, for uh, helping us out with that. He did the vocals. He actually did the whole thing. I kind of just shorned up for the intro. But if you want to hear the actual full song we're gonna play it after the conclusion what i call how to contact us here after this short segment but for uh you old guys that don't want to hear the whole song just end it after that but just let it play (laughs) um but Uh, the words we changed the words they're really cool it's about grouse hunting yeah uh, kevin and i kind of came up with those matt 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 did most of it yeah you proved it though i mean yeah yeah, i proved it looked at it but yeah it's it's a quite the song yeah and then it's also on our um patreon if you want to be a patron you can actually download it as a mp3 there and put it right on your phone and if you're going to do that you might as well go ahead and well then you'll be entered in the knife contest entered in the knife see you get the song 
How many grouse hunting songs do you really have? Come on, guys. Yeah. Almost none. So you get a grouse hunting song. You're entered as a Patreon, and you're entered in the Bark River Knife drawing. There you go. That we're going to do opening day, right? Yep. That's Well, that's our plan. Um, no, we'll it's going to be opening day or our opening day. Probably our opening day, because I don't want to Last run. year, we were there on opening day. Yeah. But we... We'll see how the weather plays out, too. That's a big If factor. it's like today, yeah. we're not going hunting. <laughs> it's, it's hot. I went kayaking today. We're not hunting. Even how, how about we just say it's the opening day of the like, opening season? Opening of, of the season. Yeah, there, there we go. go. So, yeah, we'll try yeah. to do that live with Jim up there. The nice lane right there. Very and, nice. Uh, it's a orange knife. Beautiful knife. Bravo 2. I'd carry that knife. It'd probably become my prime yeah, carry the sheath knife. sheath is really nice. Beautiful. And uh, we're... Uh, we're looking forward to it. So the, yeah. other, the other part is make sure and rate us on Spotify or Apple. It's very important. It exposes us to new listeners. So go ahead and out there and give it a rate. Come on, guys. It takes a second, right? And just, or two, right? I, yeah. Yeah, I don't do that. So. Uh, it's very simple. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we would appreciate that. Anything else from your end, Matt? Nope. And uh, we'll follow up with the conclusion again. If, if you're into the 90s rock or grunge type music, let it play after the con- how to contact us, and uh, you'll hear the whole thing. Um, it's pretty cool. I like it. But it, great musician. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little younger than you. I don't. Yeah. Think you like it as much as I do. I like it. I like it. It's just. Uh, it's, we'll see if Tom likes it. Well, I can tell you about that. <laughs> he doesn't like us playing '70s classic rock. So you're so. a generation older than me. I'm X Gen. I'm between you and Tom. You're the end of the boomers. So Tom mm-hmm. is pre-boomer, or is he top of the boomers? top of the boomers okay he's 10 years older than i am roughly all right so, yeah but he uh i was basically if you're x gen or maybe millennial you like it <laughs> well we have those listeners so i'm sure they'll dig it and they yeah. can download it and uh, get pumped up 89 days left yeah. gotta get pumped up all right we're that out sounds good have a good one till next time see you. thanks for listening to our podcast like to enter the knife contest Check it out at Patreon forward slash BirdCamp. Leave us some feedback, which we would appreciate. Our email is mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. Check us out on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for BirdCamp. Our website is www.birdcamp.net. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next show. See ya.
Wow.